We are in Acts, and uh, we've been in Acts for um, a while, and I'm very excited this morning specifically. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip open to the back half of Acts chapter 11. And why I'm excited uh, for this morning is uh, I have a really simple message, and it's actually a borrowed message that someone else preached. Uh, but this simple message um, is a really profound message. And I honestly believe that some of you here today, if not all of us here today, uh, need to hear this simple message that was preached 2,000 years ago. Because uh, when the individual who preached this message 2,000 years ago, it had such a profound impact on the community that it not only changed and reorchestrated uh, the men and women who listened to this message, uh, but it began having an incredible, incredible impact um, on the cultures and communities around them. If uh, you remember last week, uh, we talked about that there were some Christians uh, who decided to say, you know what, uh, we want to absolutely preach the message of Jesus and the gospel to, uh, to the Jews. But however, there were some who said, you know what, we want to take this to the Gentiles as well. And so they went to Antioch, which was the third largest city uh, in the Roman Empire at the time. And here is what happened when they went and preached the gospel to uh, the Gentiles, uh, meaning non-Jewish people living in Antioch. It said, however, I'm reading verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 20 and 21. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed, and they turned to the Lord. It's amazing. The least likely city to respond to the amazing message of God's grace, God's love. Uh, the men and women were believing in Jesus and turning to Jesus. Um, what does the church in Jerusalem do? They're hundreds of miles away. They've got They've got to figure out, like, is this a good thing that's happening in Antioch? We're so far removed from there, we're just hearing stories of what's happening. And so the text that we're looking at today really is dealing with uh, what was the response of the church in Jerusalem? Are they going to support what's happening, what God's doing in Antioch? Or are they going to just say, you know what, this is, we don't want anything to do with what is happening here. And so they decided to send uh, an individual to go check out and find out, hey, is this a good thing? Is this a God thing uh, that's happening in Antioch? So if you have your Bible, uh, I'm in Acts chapter 11, and I'm just going to read a few verses starting at verse 22. And it says this, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, meaning all this amazing things happening in Antioch, people coming to meet God and meet Jesus, when the church of Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and he arrived, and he saw this evidence of God's blessing, and he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarshish to look for Saul, who we will later become Paul, uh, verse 26, when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And then in parentheses, it was in Antioch, it was at Antioch uh, that the believers were first called Christians. Now, I told you I had one simple message that I'm preaching someone else's message, 
It's a simple message, but an incredibly profound message. And the message was in those few verses. Did you catch what the message that Barnabas had for the people in Antioch was? He was filled with joy. He encouraged them. But it says very clearly his very short, simple, but profound message was this. Stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. And so this morning, I want to unpack as best as I can, what does that mean? What would it look like for you and I, what did it look like for them to stay true? And when it says stay true, what it means is stay faithful to Jesus. Stay true, stay faithful to the Lord. So that's the message. I've already preached it. Stay true to the Lord. I don't know where all of you are uh, on your spiritual journey. Some of you are still maybe trying to figure it out, and some of you are now just recently walking with Jesus, and some have been walking a long time. I think what God wanted you to hear today was this simple message of stay true to the Lord. Stay faithful to the Lord. Um, Before I paint a picture of what I at least learned from uh, these few verses and acts of how did they do it, what did it look like, uh, I wanted... Sometimes it's helpful when you're thinking about the message to actually understand the messenger. Who is this guy? Uh, what is his background? And so I wanted to, to know, uh, this is Barnabas. And this is not the first time that we've met Barnabas. Uh, but what makes his message also so powerful uh, is knowing a little bit about who this man is. Uh, so this is not the first time we met him. Here are a few things that I'd share with you. And I encourage you to write these down. Uh, the first thing I'd say is this. He was a generous man. Barnabas was a generous man. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 uh, says, For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, son of encouragement. Uh, That verse right there, uh, Barnabas was the first one to give of his financial resources to support what God was doing in the church. And what I love about this, and I want you to at least bookmark this in your mind, is Barnabas, you probably didn't know. That's just his nickname. It wasn't even his name. But when the disciples look, or the apostles looked at him, they said, man, you're just an encourager. We're just going to call you Barnabas. So he was a generous man. The second thing I learned is he was a courageous man. When no one else would stand up for Saul, who would later become Paul, and remember Saul, he persecuted the church. He was killing Christians. He was imprisoning Christians. Um, and he had this incredible moment where he met Jesus and his life was forever different. But remember, if you're a Christian and all you know about this man is that he came to kill Christians, you're probably not going to be the first to stand up and say, hey, I'm with this guy. I'm totally for him. You would probably be a little bit nervous of like, I don't want to be too close. But Barnabas, he had courage. In Acts 9, it says this, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus And how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told him that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Barnabas is the only guy that stands up and says, I will vouch for him. I'll vouch for his character. I'll vouch for his calling. And I'll vouch for what Jesus did with this man. That takes courage. I'd say he was a spirit-filled man. We read that in Acts 11. Barnabas, good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. Meaning he was a guy that just didn't do things in his own strength and power. He was a guy that actually operated out of the power that God gives him. Uh, I'd say a fourth thing is this, incredibly humble, 
incredibly humble. In Acts 11, uh, verse 25, we read these verses. It says, Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. You know what? It takes a humble man like Barnabas to say, I can't do all of this myself. This is absolutely amazing what's happening in Antioch, but I need help. I absolutely need help. So I'm going to go get my old friend Saul, who I've not seen in years. And I'm going to go get him and tell him, man, you got to come back to Antioch. The people need you. They need your instruction. But not only that, I need you. It takes a humble man to say, you know what? I can't go it on my own. I actually need help and actually seek somebody out to say, hey, would you be willing to come alongside me to help me do what God's called me to do? Uh, and the last thing I'd share about Saul or um, Barnabas is this. He was the right man. He was the right man. Acts 11, verse 23, when he arrived and he saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Those are just a few things about Barnabas that I learned what Acts tells us about who this guy is. And what I'd want you to hear is Barnabas is not a perfect man, but as I've been sitting with this this week, I wrote this in my journal earlier uh, in the week. I, I put it like this. God raises up the right people with the right message at just the right time in order to accomplish his perfect plan. God raises up the right people with the right message at just the right time in order to accomplish his perfect plan. Of all the people that could have been sent to Antioch, how incredible is it that the one who gets sent to Antioch is the one who's known as an encourager? Because he could have clearly showed up in Antioch uh, just with a message of, man, you guys are doing it all wrong. That's not how you live with God. And start making them follow or adhere to more Jewish customs. But that's not what he did. Let me ask this uh, question. Have you ever met someone who was a joy sucker? <laughs> You've met someone who was a joy sucker, okay? This would be the time where you'd put something in like hashtag buzzkill, Okay? <laughs> If you are a joy sucker, you are a buzzkill, meaning something is so exciting to you, and you're just so fired up about what is happening, and you try to share that message with someone, and all you get is they just suck the living joy out of you, and they just point out everything that's not working or won't work or won't happen, or they're just pointing out everything that as you listen to them talk, you're just like, gosh, I just went from being joyful to being like depressed. And what I love about Barnabas is he was not a joy sucker. He showed up on the scene and it says he was filled with joy. And can you imagine if you're the church in Antioch, you don't really know what's happening. You just see all of these men and women who are meeting Jesus and are just so excited about that. And then Barnabas shows up and he's like, I just so joyful. I see evidence of God's grace, God's blessing on you, and he was just so filled with joy for them. And I was just really challenged and convicted with this, that God does raise up the right person at the right time with the right message to accomplish his perfect plan. And if 
you ask the question, well, then, Michael, what was God's plan for the people of Antioch that God used Barnabas to accomplish? Well, in a few weeks' time, when we hit Acts chapter 13, do you know who becomes the sending church for Paul and for Barnabas on their missionary journeys? It's a church in Antioch. God sent Barnabas to Antioch to encourage them, to celebrate with them, to train them, to equip them to the point where the people in Antioch were like, wow, we got to do this everywhere. Let's be the church that sends out this guy, Paul, and sends out Barnabas, who came to us to help us. Let's send them out now to go do what they've done here everywhere. God raises up the right people at the right time with the right message. And if that's true, and I believe it's true, one of the challenging things that I would put before myself and put before you is maybe, just maybe, God is trying to raise you up with the right, at the right time with the right message to accomplish his perfect plan in you, around you, uh, with those around you. One of the things, uh, and I don't know how long this has been, but it's been years now. <clears throat> One of the things that's been incredibly transformational for me uh, is when I meet with someone, when I'm going into a store, uh, no matter where it is, no matter what I'm doing, I ask a very simple question. And because I've been asking for it for so long, it's now just become habit. God, is there something that I should do here? Is there something that I should say? God, is there a word that you would want me to just say hello to someone, to bless someone, to encourage them, to inspire? Is there something that you want me to do in this situation, in this environment that I'm in right now? And it's been amazing because I do believe God raises up the right person at the right time with the right message to accomplish what he wants done. Uh, time and time again, I just see, I don't always get to see how it turns out, but I see God say, yeah, I want you to go talk to that person. Uh, this past week, uh, Thursday, just a few days ago, we've been having all sorts of problems with our uh, HVAC system. The heat hadn't been working, and we know the temperatures are dropping, so it would be nice to have heat. You don't have to sit here in coats uh, and blankets, which has happened before. Um, and the, I had a meeting on Thursday morning at uh, 5.15, and the guy was like, I'll meet you at the church at 6.30. I was like, okay, I'll see you at 6.30. Wasn't too excited to come here at 6.30 to meet the HVAC person. But I got here, and I showed him around. I was like, here's, here's what you need to know. And I was getting ready to honestly just walk to my office because uh, I knew it was going to be about a three-hour-long job, and I just wanted to hide in my office. I just wanted to do my thing, uh, get some work done. And I just felt like God was like, well, Michael, aren't you about to tell people that God uses the right person at the right time with the right message? Uh, and I was like, well, I don't have to tell people that. Um, but, and I was like, Lord, is there something that you have for me uh, in this time with this HVAC person? Uh, and I felt like the Lord did. And so I stuck with him. And I stood by his side for three hours. And over the, the three hours that I was with him, and I checked in, I was like, hey, after about a half hour, I was like, am I bugging you at all? And he's like, no, I actually, I'm, I'm really encouraged that you're actually talking with me. Learned all about his family, learned about his life, learned about where his kids go to school, learned about his history of his relationship with God and just where he's been. Uh, I spent three hours with this individual. 
And he's like, Michael, I can't come to church this weekend, but I'm bringing my family back to church with me uh, next weekend. And I haven't been to church. I can't even tell you when the last time I've been to church was. And he just shared with me his story. Now, I don't know if he'll come. I hope he does. But I know he'll remember the conversation we'll have. And my challenge for you is, I believe every conversation you have, every situation you're in, just ask the question, God, is there something you want me to do? Is there something you want me to say? Is there somehow I can encourage or bless or give or serve or inspire people here? And sometimes you might not get anything, but more times than not, God's going to say, yeah, I want you to be a Barnabas right now. I want you not to be a joy sucker, but I want you to celebrate joyfully with what this person is going to tell you. And I want you to encourage them. And maybe I want you to pray for them. So as we turn to the message, uh, I wanted you to hear, uh, paint a picture of this is the messenger. Uh, incredible messenger in Barnabas. Not a perfect man, but he was the right man at the right time with the right message. And his message, if you remember, was just simply stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. Now, if you think about it, of all the things that he could have told the people in Antioch, why on earth did he tell them that? It's a very simple message. It was a very short message. But of all the things that he could have told them, and I'm not suggesting this was the only thing that he told them, but I will tell you it was the first thing that we know that he told them. So why this message of stay true to the Lord? Because this is a community that would have been incredibly tempted to make Jesus just part of their life rather than the center of their life. In that early stage, when they're living in a culture that is surrounded by gods and goddesses, they would have been tempted to say, you know what, this Jesus is a, a good part of my life, but it's just part of my life. And I think what Barnabas wanted this church to know is, no, don't make Jesus part of your life. He's not a section of your life. Stay true to the Lord, because those who stay true to the Lord, Jesus is not just a part, he's the whole. And so one of the questions as we get going uh, with what does it look like to stay true to the Lord is, I have a question for you. And I'd really want you to write this answer down because the question is this, is Jesus just part of your life or is Jesus in control of all aspects of your life? Is he just part or is he in control of everything? Maybe another way to think about it is, is Jesus just in addition to an already crowded and busy life? Or is Jesus actually the one that is shaping you and how you live your life? Not just parts of your life, but all of your life. Because one of the things that scripture makes clear, uh, Paul talks a lot about this in his letters, is if you don't remain true to the Lord, you will shipwreck your life. You will shipwreck your faith. He says this in 1 Timothy 1. Uh, Paul says this, cling to faith in Christ. Stay true to the Lord and keep your conscience clear for some people have deliberately violated their conscience and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. So is Jesus just part or is he the whole? And as we look at what does it mean for Jesus not to just be part but the whole, to stay true to him, my heart's desire for you, all of you today, uh, would we say, you know what? Jesus has been just part, but I don't want him to be part anymore because I don't want to be the man or the woman that started strong but is actually heading for a shipwreck. And here are three things that I would share with you, things that I learned from the men and women in Antioch of what it looks like 
to remain true to the Lord. Uh, number one is this. Talk about who you know to all you know. Talk about who you know to all you know. What or who we talk about is generally a pretty good reflection of what we are all about. Now, it would seem to me that the men and women of Antioch, they couldn't stop talking about this guy, Jesus. They just couldn't stop talking about who he is. Now, how do I know that they were talking about who they knew to all that they knew? Well, Scripture tells me, uh, as I look in uh, chapter 11, verse 24, it says, and many people were brought to the Lord. <laughs> well, how on earth were many people being brought to the Lord unless there were people, unless there, uh, people weren't talking about him? The men and women in the church in Antioch, they could not stop talking about the Lord. And as a consequence, there were more people who were coming to know the Lord as a result of the men and women who knew him were beginning to talk about him. I think I, I, I talked about this a lot last week. I get that it's hard sometimes talking about who you know to all you know, because uh, not everyone is going to agree with you on who Jesus is and who you think Jesus is and believe Jesus to be. Uh, for some, it's awkward. For some, it's painful. For some, it's just, it's, it's just hard. I think one of the things when I talk with people about talking about their faith, talking about Jesus, Michael, I just don't know enough. And I'm afraid if I get into a conversation with somebody about faith, with someone, they're just going to ask me a question. I'm just going to feel like an idiot. And then it's just going to go bad from there. I just, I need to know more, I need to learn more, I need to study, and then once I, I get that, then I'll be able to start telling more people. And the reality is, you, you never will know enough. You never will study enough. You'll never learn enough. And you'll just keep using that, I just need to know a little bit more. Uh, and for me, personally, and the challenge that I give to other people is, uh, rather than letting what you think you don't know hinder you from sharing who you do know, just start talking to people about what God has done in your life. I really feel like this is the evangelistic message of the New Testament is just tell people what God has done in your life. There's an incredible story of a man who was just filled with hundreds and hundreds of demons, and he meets Jesus, and Jesus completely heals him physically, emotionally, relationally, heals him whole, whole. And this man comes up to Jesus, and he's like, I just, wherever you go, I want to go. I just want to be with you. I want to follow you. And I love Jesus' response to this man, because he says no. In uh, Mark 5, 19, Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. And just go home to your family, your friends, and just tell them what happened. This is a story of a blind man who was born blind in John chapter 9. And he meets Jesus, and after he meets Jesus, he was blind, but after he meets Jesus, he now can see. And of course, the religious leaders of the day were like, hey, you need to explain to us what happened to you. You need to explain to us who this Jesus is. Who do you say that he is? What happened? And finally, the man in John chapter 9, verse 25, he says this, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. I don't really know much about Jesus to tell you the truth, but I do know this, before I met him, I was like this, blind, could not see. 
But after I met Jesus and spent time with Jesus, now I can see. Don't ask me too many more questions because all I know is I was lost and found. I was blind, but now I can see. I can't tell you how many times this has been how I talk about Jesus. If you would have met me years ago, I was the guy that was just filled with anger and hatred, and my heart was just rock hard. And it showed up in how I treated people, thought about people, talked to people. But you know what? I'm not like that anymore. God's given me a heart that's more compassionate. Well, Michael, what's the difference? I don't know. I just, Jesus has done this in my life. I used to be this way, but Jesus now is making me and shaping me and forming me this way. I used to be the guy that was just filled with all sorts of just nasty lust, inappropriate relationships with women, hard addiction to pornography. I used to be that guy, but I'm not that guy anymore. Well, why? I was like this before Jesus, but Jesus has taken all this crap out of my head and my heart, and he's given me a new heart. It's just as simple as what has God done in your life and telling people that. You might not know everything, and neither do I, but you know enough to say, but I, God's done this. He's done this. And you'll be amazed at watching as you share your story, your testimony, you talking about who you know to all you know, and how God will use that to introduce more people to Jesus. The people in Antioch, they were so relentless in talking because more and more and more and more people believed. Second thing I'd share with you of how you stay true to the Lord. The first one, talk about who you know. The second one is grow in the one you know. It's another way of me trying to say, be teachable so that you can be moldable. Be teachable so that you can be moldable. Acts 11 says this, Barnabas went off to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. What I love about this simple reminder is none of us have arrived. It doesn't matter if you've honestly been walking with God for 40 years or four days. None of us have arrived. All of us have a long way to go. All of us have a lot to learn. But there are some people who do not take on the posture of a learner and a student. And they become harder and harder as they get older, rather than softer and softer and more moldable as you go. And if you would be one who would stay true to the Lord, faithful to the Lord, you would be a learner. You would be a student. You would grow in the relationship that Jesus has established with you. Now, practically speaking, what does it look like to actually grow in relationship with God, relationship with Jesus. And I'll just give you two. This is not exhaustive, but I can tell you what, after myself, uh, these are things that have been incredibly helpful to me growing. And in 16 years of pastoral ministry, I can tell you these two things uh, are primary. Primary. The first one is this, in the Word. You have to be in the Word. If you are not in the story of God, and the story of God is not getting in you, it's not just allowing Scripture, you reading Scripture, it's allowing Scripture to read you. If you're not in the Word, you are going to have a hard time growing in your relationship with God. Consequently, you'll have a hard time staying true to the Lord. Every day, 
every day, spend time in God's word and allow God's word to speak to you, shape you, form you, encourage you, challenge, convict, inspire, bless, lead you. Be in God's word every single day. And I like how Paul said it in 2 Timothy, all scripture inspired by God is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's another way of Paul saying, you know what? The Bible's really important. It's really important. And not just as a legalistic checklist of like, I read my Bible, I'm good for the day. It's sit with scripture. Sit with scripture and allow scripture to get in you. The second thing I would say about practically how do you grow uh, with the one you know, uh, you gotta be in community. I've honestly never met someone, uh, myself included, I've never met someone who actually grew in the relationship with God in isolation. I've never met someone like that. So in community, namely, I would say you gotta come to church. And this is not just an attendance thing. You have to come to church so you can learn and you can grow and you can be encouraged and challenged and blessed with the things that you learn here, you're taking and passing it along to other people. And by the way, coming to church is not just about taking uh, and receiving. It is, it's about giving to God what God, uh, giving, giving to God our worship. But when we're here, we learn, we're challenged we're, to grow. And by the way, coming to church, sometimes you, it's easy, I know, you wake up, you're like, man, I'm just tired, it's been a long weekend, and I just totally want to sleep in. And the mentality behind that is, uh, I'm not really going to get anything out of church probably today, so I'm just not going to go. And what you miss when you do things like that is how God would want to use you as a Barnabas in someone else's life. Paul Fleming shared a story uh, when he was given you a welcome. He was the right man at the right time with the right message to greet the individual who was here last night. When you come to church, it's not just about you. It's being here so that God can use you to bless others. And it's not, again, just coming on Sunday. We have these things called community groups. There's 12 different community groups that meet on Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Sunday. You've got to get into a community group. Why? Because you can't make it on your own. None of us can. You have to allow other men, women to help you grow in your relationship with God. If you'd stay true to the Lord, you're going to talk about the Lord and you're going to grow in knowing him. And then lastly, we'll finish with this. Uh, Represent the one you know. Represent the one you know. Um, And I asked this question, did the men and women in Antioch represent Jesus in how they lived? In other words, did they actually do what Barnabas told them to do? Did they really remain true to the Lord? And I can answer emphatically, yes. Now, how do I know that? I know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the men and women of Antioch remained true to the Lord because in Acts 11, verse 26, it says this, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Up until this point in time, believers or brothers or sisters or members of the way. But in Antioch, there were such a paradox, a contradiction to life and culture in Antioch. And so as a term of a derogatory term, they said, let's just call these folks Christians because they look a lot like Christ. 
And he was a humiliated man who was murdered and left for dead on a cross. So let's come up with the most derogatory name that we can call them, and let's call them Christians. So did they represent the one who knew them? And the answer is absolutely yes. Now, you have a nickname? You have a name that uh, people call you? Uh, usually, nicknames uh, reflect or represent something about us. Maybe it's a weird quirk we have or just some character flaw or, you know, I was thinking back over the years of all the nicknames that I had, and I realized I couldn't really share about 90% of them with you. But um, I can share probably my most favorite nickname that I ever received. What I love about Barnabas is that was his nickname. The apostles were like, man, you're just a dude who encourages people, so your nickname is Barnabas. The Christians were such a contradiction. We're just going to call you Christians. And I remember uh, uh, a nickname that was given to me in college um, that was meant to really hurt. It was a derogatory term that was given to me, but in many ways, it was my most favorite nickname I've ever received. Because when I was in college, I was a punk. I was a total punk. It's total selfish, self-centered, just bent on sinning as much as I could uh, my freshman year at uh, The Ohio State University, which did not encourage holiness in my life. And so my freshman year, and I was part of a swim team, so I was part of a small group, about 25 guys. And they saw the way I lived. They saw everything that I did. But God grabbed hold of me uh, between, in the summer between uh, kind of the spring-summer uh, leading into my sophomore year. So much to the point when I came back, uh, I was unrecognizable to them because everything that I used to do, I didn't do anymore. The way that I used to talk, the way I used to act, I just I wasn't like that anymore. And one day I was, I was walking on the pool deck and I uh, walked by a friend. He's like, yo, what's up, AJ? And I kind of looked around. And I was like, uh, it's only me and you on the pool deck. I, hi. Uh, and I, I couldn't figure out for the life of me. And two weeks went by, and all the other swimmers were like, yo, what's up, AJ? Hey, there's AJ. And it was not like a, they, were, you know, they were laughing at me as they said it. Uh, and finally, I said, guys, what the heck? What does AJ mean? And they're like, yo, what's up, all Jesus? And they said it in a, a derogatory way to hurt me. And I don't remember the expression on my face, but I remember when I went back to my apartment, I was like, Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> I just got the best nickname ever. And so for the next three years of uh, swimming at Ohio State, they called me AJ. And I was okay with that. And what I love about these men and women of Antioch is they were named after the one that they represented. When I was reading this week, I came across a story about uh, Alexander the Great. And um, I'm not a history buff, but he was pretty much the man conquered the known world uh, by age 23. He was known for his boldness, his leadership, uh, and a few other things. Uh, but in his ranks, in his army, uh, there was also another Alexander. Uh, and this Alexander was known as the biggest coward of the group. Uh, every time it came time to go to battle, he would be the first to run away. And he was just known as this incredible coward. And so as the story is told, Alexander the Great uh, set up a time to meet with this man, and this is what he said. Is your name Alexander, and are you named for me? And the trembling coward said, yes, sir. My name is Alexander, and I was named for you. And then the great general said, then either be brave or change your name. 
And when I was thinking about that, I came across that story. Um, it reminded me, I bear the name of Christ. And if I'm going to call myself a Christ one, a Christian, then I better act like it. If I'm going to align myself with the name of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, then I have a responsibility to represent well the one who I claim to know and the one that I claim to follow. What are people calling you? What is your nickname, as it were? You might not know it, uh, and they might not put an expression to it in terms of an actual title, but when people see you and think about you, do they think, you know what? I just felt like I was in the presence of Jesus because of their compassion, their kindness, their generosity, their gentleness, their leadership. Because if you're a Christian, you represent Jesus. You don't represent you. You don't represent your family. You represent the name of Jesus. And Scripture makes clear it is an incredible privilege to bear the name of Jesus. Peter says this, and if you know anything about Peter, he was the guy that was like, I swear to God, I don't know who the man is. You're like, Peter, come on, man, you, you followed him for three years. How could you bail on him in his moment? And this is what Peter says towards the end of his life. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. What does it look like to stay true to the Lord? It was such a simple message, but the people in Antioch, they heard the message, and then they lived the message out. They told everyone they knew about now who they knew in Jesus. They continued to grow in that relationship, and they represented the name. So much to the point where people who are not Christians are like, you're like your Jesus. And even though they meant to mock uh, they said, okay, we like that. We'll be called Christians, Christ ones. Now, before we celebrate uh, communion, uh, I just wanted to remind you that none of us will be able to stay true to the Lord on our own. None of us in perfection will be able to do this. And I would have to say one of the, the verses that has been most encouraging to me, because you might be sitting here like, man, I'm not representing at all. I have not stayed true to the Lord. I've just wandered. I've just been doing my own thing. And you feel like, man, I've just gotten so far away. I can never possibly get back to being the one that is true to the Lord, that's telling others, that's growing, that's representing. And I wanted to share with you in closing this verse in 2 Timothy. Paul says this, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And even though there's been so many times in my life where I dropped the ball, I was not faithful at all. I've never once not experienced the faithfulness of Jesus in my life. So even though I can look back and recount so many times where I did not stay true to the Lord, I did not stay faithful, I can't tell you one time or one example of where he was not faithful to me. And what encourages me, motivates, inspires me is even though there will be times where I will not be faithful, it will not change who he is. 
And so this is not Michael Davis or any of you trying to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, work hard, and just be super faithful, superhero. No, the one who called you, he's faithful. He will strengthen you. He will empower you. 